Welcome to the Steve Has a Chat podcast, where I call someone out of the blue with the record button on and hope to have an unscripted conversation about Microsoft business applications. Let's see how it goes. Enjoy. Hello, this is Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Steve Mordew. How's it going? Oh, Steve Mordew. How are you doing? Does this mean I'm in trouble? No, you are not in trouble, but uh, you are about to be a guest on my Steve Has a Chat podcast if you have time and are up for it. Uh, You mean like right now? Like right now. Already recording. Hey, okay. (laughs) Um, Let me check my calendar. Uh, You know, there's... There's nothing I'd rather do right now than, uh, than be an impromptu guest on a Steve show. Uh, well, we'll try and make sure you don't regret that decision. I, I, I regret a lot of decisions, Steve. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be the first. So let me ask you first, how long have you been with Microsoft? You know, I just uh, just crossed five years. Uh, five years. Uh, just this past fall. Yeah. So we, uh, I used to be a Salesforce consultant. We were Salesforce consultants for about 10 years. Okay. We moved over to Microsoft when they first moved CRM online back mm. in 2011, so about 10 okay. years ago. Sure. Yeah. And I remember there being a few few bumps making that transition going from on-premise to online, but then it kind of leveled out into what I kind of called the lazy river ride. Mm. You know, it was, it was predictable. It didn't move very quickly. You know, you had you, you didn't, there was no urgency. Yeah. And then and then James took over. <laughs> and, and, and he brought in all you young guys, and it's been like a rocket roller coaster ride uh, ever since. And it's it's you ever been on one of those really big roller coaster rides where you, you're like you start praying for it to end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's not going to. It's just going to keep looping around, and you can't get off. I almost feel like for a lot of us uh, partners that have been around at least since it was Lazy River. That man, my head is rocking from all of the ah, stuff you guys have been doing. We uh, we don't do lazy rivers very well, Steve. It's uh, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. No, not anymore. At least uh, class three rapids around here. Yeah. How how is it like on the inside for that kind of uh, pace and ideation and everything that's going on in, internally? You know, it's a great question. It's um, uh, you know, it certainly has not been constant here either. Uh, you know, and and again, my experience in this community is not as long as yours. I joined it uh, about five years ago, and and specifically joined the Power Apps team uh, long before Power Apps was really a thing. Uh, you know, yep. I, I joined the team when uh, Project Sienna was, uh, for those that are familiar with that term, the sort of precursor to Power Apps was kind of in an early beta phase, um, and there were grand ambitions of expanding out who can build software, uh, but not a lot of uh, uh, how do we say it kindly? Not a, not a ton of product truth yet behind that. Uh, behind that. Goal. So I was uh, I was in the audience, I think, for one of your very first uh, presentations before a big group of this of this product. Yeah. And yeah, you looked a little deer in the headlights at the time. <laughs> I still feel that way sometimes. Um, but if you if you take that over the course of the last five years, where you know that idea has solidified, that product has gotten more mature. Certainly, there's still more work to do, um, but we've gone from literally zero humans using at least standalone power apps to millions uh, around yeah. the world, um, and and really also in the same breath, gone from 
you know, very long tail, very simple use cases to to you know this this grand merger with the Dynamics platform and and customers building and trusting, frankly, much more sophisticated uh, workloads to the platform. Um, you know, the the world has changed a lot for us internally in in how we approach this problem. <laughs> you know, as you as you go through that product maturity life cycle, um, yeah. you know, in the early stage, it's really about can we make anyone successful here? Uh, you know, now it is much more about how do we scale and how do we care, how do we, you know, focus on uh, enterprise trust and developer productivity um, and uh, and really turn uh, millions into hundreds of millions. Um, and uh, and that's... Oop, we got a little stall yeah. there. Right. Oh, yep. did, I, did I lose you for a second? Just for a second, you know, I, I kind of sometimes think of Microsoft kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the Japanese uh, manufacturing economy where they they saw ideas that we would come up with and then they would put all their resources to make it better, faster, cheaper. Whereas mm -hmm. a lot of the things we're doing in, in the in the in the power platform are not yep. things that weren't being done before by others. It's just that. Right that someone on the team somewhere recognized, hey, there's this there's this movement going on out here with some of these smaller players. And yeah. I think it's got I think it's got some legs. So let's let's drop all of the arsenal that we have available as Microsoft onto this idea. And, you know, because we, we, clearly we weren't the first low code platform. Right. But 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 suddenly, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing everything Microsoft has to bear on this idea and right. to see it to see it blow up like that. And it. You can say that for almost everything that we've got going on, you know, the mm. the, the the bots, the, you know, yep. flow, all of these sorts of things. We weren't the first, but yeah. then we came in and just put all this horsepower into an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much is about execution and, and executing at the right time and, and doing it for the right people. And I think part of the reason why you know, we internally work quickly and, and don't want to be on the lazy river is, is also because, uh, you know, we I think we we try to approach it with this fundamental. Um, uh, this is going to sound weird, but distrust of our own instincts. You know, to say, look, we have a, a thesis about what we have a thesis that people are going to want to build software faster. We have a thesis that they're going to want to do that beyond just forms over data. That's going to want to take many different forms. Um, but in the in the nitty gritty details of who's actually going to find the most value in individual features and individual assembly of those features. Um, you know, there's a lot of margin for error. And yeah. the the sooner you get real software into the hands of real humans and they can use it and react to it and give you feedback, uh, you know, actively about it, but also just give you feedback through their usage or non-usage of it, then the sooner you have real data to adjust and change and do the next thing. Um, so it's not so, really like uh, build it and they will come. It's more like build something and let's see who comes. Exactly. <laughs> and, then and then build some more. <laughs> exactly. Develop a relationship with those people who have come yeah. <laughs> and then make sure that you're building it in a way that they're going to, you know, get really excited about it and uh, and then and then extend to others. And, uh, you know, so we really prioritize, you know, when we have enough of a hypothesis to head in a direction, get there as soon as possible in the world and then work really closely and quickly once you've landed there um, uh, to make it great and, and learn and be willing to be wrong. 
uh, and and be willing to change. Don't and, worry, I point I point out when you walk guys off. Absolutely, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a lot of moving different. parts. Yeah. You know, and I know you you came in through the power apps door, but have since yeah. kind of got your fingers into the whole plat all the pieces of the platform. It feels like, and that's there's a lot of moving parts going on. Yes. And whenever you have that many moving parts. Uh, you know, there's going to be bumps and, and, and issues along the way. So I, I can imagine that's just a continuous thing that somebody's building something over here, somebody over here, they're not, that maybe they didn't coordinate as well as they should have. And, and yeah. it gets discovered later. And then there's this, I imagine these little fire drills going internally to, oh, we, sure. you know, left hand wasn't talking to the right hand enough. Let's get that stuff going on. Is that part of your role is to referee those sorts of things or identify them? I guess you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, and that's yeah. also part of growing a product and a team across a really wide surface areas. How do you, um, you know, how do we put in place the right listening mechanisms to customers, to data and reviews internally so that we can catch those things sooner and react to them more quickly? Um, you know, because in many ways, the ambition here is to span a really wide uh, area of, uh, of software um, and do it with a platform that has uh, value and relevance to a number of different people in that spectrum, which yeah, uh, you know, is is fundamentally really hard. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to build a focused experience for one very focused narrow niche of people. Um, uh, it's another that alone is hard. <laughs> it's another yeah, to yeah, yeah, to yeah. build a set of tools that a lot of different people can use. You know, but but I think that was actually part of our. Um, you know, if you rewind several years ago and and look at what we did between the the Power App software project, which started independently, and the Dynamics platform and bringing them together. Um, you know, we really realized at the limit, these things converge, you know, at, at the limit, uh, making it easier for, for non-traditional software people, citizen developers, amateurs, makers, whatever you want to call them, and making it faster for professionals to, to build apps. Um, you know, those two ends have to meet each other at some point for this to really scale. Um, and so let's rip How close that do you think we are? How close do you think we are to getting to that that ideal point? I mean, I think there's still, even when I look at the citizen developer story, a citizen can, a citizen can go so far. Right. And obviously, we'd like them to go as far as they're able to go. Yeah. Um, yeah they comfortably go. And, you know, ProDev takes over. And I, I have to assume there's a continuous motion inside to, to keep trying to move that line. Yep. Let's. Let's simplify some of these formulas that may be required that are yep. just just whatever wherever those stopping blocks where you see a citizen is able to get this far it hits a wall. Yep. yep. Can we can we get them to the next wall? How, how much yeah. is going on in that process? No, it's a it's a great question and it is really one of the central things that keeps driving a lot of what we do. I mean, we also look at a professional's experience through that uh, through that journey, right? And you and you look at uh, not enlightened professionals such as yourselves, but all of the other uh, software people out in the world who are very skeptical of platforms, right? And who yeah. uh, you know have an instinct to sort of start from scratch and and write everything themselves, um, and you know go through some stages of that can be financially motivated, also. Well, sure, so, sure, yeah, um, right. But I think um, uh, you know realizing that hey, you know, two trends are really converging here. Uh, to your point earlier, low code is not new, um, but we've had low code in two very different camps. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is the company that shipped Excel 35 years ago, 36 years ago now. Um, you know, we we certainly know low code uh, for for true amateurs, and there is um, you know there's always been this world of people without a software development background working around the boundaries of the software they're given with tools to solve problems, and that goes straight the, the through. access wizards. 
Absolutely. Excel <laughs> macros, uh, you know, VBA, Access, InfoPath, and a number of other products outside yeah, yeah. Of, of Microsoft. That's, a, that's an enduring tradition. Um, you know, and then on the other side, what we've been doing as professional software people for the last 40 years is just adding layers of abstraction and tooling and not repeating ourselves and borrowing from other people um, to more efficiently assemble solutions as well. Um, you know, and, and you can look at a platform like uh, what, uh, you know, what XRM was unofficially and what, uh, you know, Dataverse and, and Power Apps on top of it now is, is just a natural extension um, of making professionals more efficient uh, by not, uh, you know, doing everything from scratch. Um, now, th that's where those two trends converge. And you're absolutely right to answer your question. We, we focus on, okay, we made a number of people successful at that. You know, there are in, there, there's a plenty of existence proof in our community and in our growth numbers and in our customer stories of, of people coming at the, the product from both of those directions and getting really successful and having a lot to show for it. Now, of course, behind the scenes, uh, you know, we're still, uh, you know, I would say very hungry. We're still at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, a couple orders of magnitude less than the addressable market of software consuming humans sure. of what we could be serving, right? Even for all the astronomical growth we've seen in the platform over the last uh, couple of years. Um, and so it is absolutely about how do we take people coming in the front door? I I'm a Teams user, I have some Excel skills, I happen to stumble on this Power Apps thing. How far do I get on my first try? What brings me back? How do I go from a, a, a user who expresses intent to a user who has a moment of success to a user who then has an app that's used in production? And even from that point to somebody who keeps coming back to, to, to keep putting apps in production. Um, and then similarly, as a professional, how do I uh, you know, how do I expand my tool set uh, from Azure and Visual Studio? And how do I have good experiences in my first try with a platform? Um, how do I get to a point where um, I'm, I put something out there that humans are using in the world and I feel good about it? Um, you know, we, we really closely look at retention. Uh, you know, we look at funnels through those early experiences. We look at satisfaction, all those annoying prompts of, you know, how likely are you to recommend uh, Power Apps to a friend or colleague? Those are really valuable data points for us, um, uh, in addition to just the general growth rates overall, uh, well, because they're leading had, indicators of, of the likelihood to be successful and grow in the future. I know we definitely have had success with enterprise organizations in particular, where IT has kind of embraced this and shepherded the uh, process yeah. and built in their own their own systems like at the whole chevron uh, sure. way that yeah. they go about you know uh, making power apps developers uh, out of their employees yep. and they've got a very yep. specific process and i guess the other side of the of the equation is a smaller company that doesn't have those kind of resources and it's right. just you know bob who's always been handy with spreadsheets suddenly sure. is trying to you know, figure his way around. It seems like that that's the one where we can't give that guy too much help. Mm. Uh, in enterprise, you know, they're going to have their system. They maybe even have classes internally they send their, yeah. their people to and stuff like that. And so smaller yeah. organizations where yeah, he's kind of left to the documents he can find and what he can understand. And, you know, I think one of the things that Microsoft has always been a little bit of a a challenge with Microsoft and documentation in particular mm -hmm. is that they, they assume a certain level of understanding in particular of right. Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's lots of folks that are coming to the platform that have zero understanding of Microsoft or history or know anything, even acronyms or none of it. Right. You know, it's, it's almost like you can't make the documentation too dumbed down. 
right uh you know to get right. to that success yeah well how big is the team up to uh, now the last number i heard and this has been a while ago it's like seven thousand. it was a pretty pretty good sized team for uh, bag how big is it now uh you know that's a good question i I'm not trying to dodge you i actually I, I suppose i could look it up i don't know for sure what james's uh you know that whole business applications group org size is but that's actually probably a decent estimate uh yeah. now that's not too inaccurate um, now that's spread across a really wide surface area. All of the first-party Dynamics apps have dedicated teams working on them. Um, you know, there are a number of uh, other orgs within that organization sure. focused on things like advancing AI and uh, and whatnot. And then, um, and then there's the core platform team. Um, you know that uh, you know that's the Charles Lamana team, um, yeah. of which I'm a part of. Uh, you know, which uh, you know we we structure into. Uh, you know, a core team focused on the back end on Dataverse, a core team focused on um, each of the, the front end products. So Power Apps, that's my team, Power Automate, uh, Power Virtual Agents. Um, and then, then we also have a dedicated group in in the platform org uh, around uh, admin and pro developers um, and, and those experiences. Yeah, I think um, when he came yeah. in, there was closer to a thousand uh, on the team. So, I mean, the team has exponentially Yes, uh, grown as yes. Uh, you know, because you can't keep a lazy river going. Nope. <laughs> yeah, you, know, <laughs> yeah you, you got you you got to have speed when you got that many yep. people on the payroll all working on something. Yep. So, I also recall a time, and I know it's still there, where there was a maniacal focus by the business applications group on on the competitors, particularly mm -hmm. Salesforce at the time. And I know their Salesforce is still in the radar. It does feel like we've kind of moved from really being focused on one primary competitor as we've launched all of these different applications into yeah. other competitive spaces where now you guys have hundreds of competitors uh, that are all out there. How, how much do you guys focus on what the competition is doing internally and, and how you guys gauge what, what directions to go? You know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's really important to be aware of what people are doing in the Microsoft in the in the marketplace, um, and we do spend a lot of time making sure that we have an intimate and hands-on, not just academic understanding of of what a lot of different software companies are producing out there. So you guys um, have not, licenses yeah. for everything. <laughs> well, where we can, and it gets complicated, right? Because Microsoft yeah. is also partners with many companies. Some companies we have agreements with about who will or won't use what software, and and uh, we've got a lot of great lawyers to help us navigate to <laughs> navigate that whole. Uh, yeah. roll. But I think the point is, look, we're we're adding software to a world that already has a lot of software in it. It's important to look left and right and be aware of what else is out there because none of this stuff gets consumed in a vacuum by customers. You go to any moderately large customer organization, there there's already a CRM system or seven you know, in place. Yeah. There's already an ERP system or eight in place. And there's already a bunch of individual systems around that for for point things. And that's just the world we live in. And so being and if aware they're exploring something, they're seldom exploring one thing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and often if they're exploring, especially a platform, um, you know, there's there's a lot of existing things and a lot of the conversations become about, you know, how does this work in an existing ecosystem and how does it work? Um, you know, how can it potentially consolidate some of those things? But, you know, we've got customers, um, you know, we uh, we had Ecolab uh, at a recent digital event kind of talking about some of their power apps and dynamics implementations. 
you know, the average uh, field uh, employee at, at Ecolab had something like 27 different individual tools that they had to use to get their job done. And it was a mix of, I mean, they had Dynamics and they had Salesforce and they had an ERP system and right. they had a whole bunch of individual custom homegrown things. And this experience was just really terrible for somebody out there on a tablet or a, or a phone trying to inspect your, your water filter at your, at your company. Um, starting to bring in power apps as a front door to some of those other systems without replacing them and just even making the wayfinding better um, is key. So look, it's important for us to be aware of what the world is doing. I would say it's never as simple as pure competitor or not in that picture. Um, because, you know, look, for a company like Microsoft, um, a lot of the names you rattled off or, or alluded to are also Azure customers, you know, and they're yeah, and we're right. partners with them in other places. And, and a lot of customers use it. And look, we're, we're fundamentally a platform company, um, I think is what it comes down to. The world is better when, when people can choose what they want to choose and are, and are able to interoperate those things at scale. Uh, now, obviously there's incentive for us to have them using our stuff in that mix, which is why we care a lot about it. Um, but, uh, but there's really not, especially if you look at the body of what we offer, even just in the platform, there isn't a clean head-to-head -head, uh, competitor uh, right, right now for all of it. There are right. certainly competitors for each piece. Um, yep. And I think yep. being, being aware that those customers have choices and that we want them to genuinely make the, the choose the best and we want to be the best, that means we have to be aware of what, what best is um, and, uh, and, and what customers define as best is, is just as important as what... Uh, uh, the the guy down the street is offering. You know, I think that the business applications group has the advantage of the enormous coattails of Office 365, now Microsoft 365. Sure. I don't know how many calls I get from a brand new customer who the primary reason they're looking at this platform is because they are already using Microsoft 365. And this idea that you know, we want everything to, to work together and talk yep. together. And I think those... Those coattails are, are an example of coattails that, well, some of the other companies just don't have. You look at Salesforce, for example, right. they don't they don't have this productivity suite with right. millions and millions of users. Right. Uh, so their their story is going to be a we can integrate story. Uh, right. You know, uh, and, right. and and I just see uh, more and more. Uh, and I think I think we have to give such a credit for this because you know for many years uh, Microsoft had kind of a mixed reputation with IT. There were lots of people that hated them, and, and yeah. you know all sorts of different things. And such it kind of seemed to have changed the the attitude of mm. the company yeah. to where IT, who used to be like you know we're using on-premise Exchange, it's the only Microsoft thing we're going to touch. Right now they've they brought in Microsoft 365. And now from an IT standpoint, it's, you know what, I don't want to make my life any more difficult than it needs right. to be. What's the most logical choice for business applications when we're already stood up on all of this stuff? Right. And it's an enormous uh, advantage and a huge coattail right. uh, for the whole business applications group to ride in on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's something that, I mean, this is why we focus so much on the platform working well in teams, for example. We've put yeah. a lot of effort into that this past year. I mean, part of that is the world turned upside down and changed and everybody started working in teams. Um, but, uh, you know, the other, the other part of that is just, uh, it's really, um, it's a huge advantage for a customer to be able to program and customize the collaboration environment, whatever that is. Uh, you know, and there's a lot, again, there's a long history of that within office with SharePoint and InfoPath and stuff like that. But uh, being able to look at that in a modern world and say, you know, Hey, I can, 
you know, I already have every employee working every day inside the Teams environment. If I can start to put line of business applications in that environment, it's much easier for those employees to discover. Um, and it's much easier for them to then work around and collaborate around when those uh, when those experiences require some form of collaboration. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there there are major Microsoft customers, Fortune 500 customers with, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of users in their tenant that have more than half of those users using a power app in Teams every every month. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you see IT departments using it. Those are not necessarily bottom-up citizen developer apps. You see IT departments really seeing that as a way to sort of reimagine, you know, maybe what we might have called an intranet site, you know, 10 years yeah, ago, but right, sort of reimagine right. an employee-facing app um, in the place where employees are, are already working. You know, it's uh, I, sometimes I actually feel a little guilty that one of our biggest growth years was a result of a virus. Sure. And, and yeah. certainly the same could be said of Teams. I mean, Teams yeah. was doing fine, but yeah. but a virus really catapulted uh, Teams to, sure. to you know to the position that it is. Yeah. And uh, you know, you, you feel a little guilty, but then again, it is what it is, and somebody has to yeah. fill that that need, and uh, it does create some massive opportunity. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, for me, especially rewinding to March and April and May, I mean, this was really a pressure test of our whole promise. You know, the the whole shtick and spiel of saying, you know, you can develop apps faster, you can do it quickly, you don't have to go through all the time and expense of software development, you can put it where people want to use it, um, got a lot less nice to have in, yeah. in March of 2020. Um, yeah, yeah. It went from a lot of people from, a, oh, that sounds cool. I'll check that out someday. And, someday. and oh, this is interesting to this is the only game in town, you know, and, and there, you know, there were moments where, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. It is difficult to go uh, feel like you're thumping your chest about business success in a year where a lot of people have had a really hard time. And I and I and I really want to be sensitive to that. At the same time, the platform has really directly and indirectly helped a lot of people with those struggles. Uh, you know, a, a whole number of uh, both through the healthcare response to COVID, uh, you know, solutions that were implemented, um, uh, you know, almost literally overnight in some cases for, you know, major state governments around the U.S. and national governments uh, abroad to, to, to first roll out large scale testing programs on portals with uh, CDS or Dataverse behind it and then roll out economic assistance programs on, on the same platform. Um, now rolling out return to work uh, solutions on the same platform. Uh, you know, those are things where the traditional model of you know, start up a waterfall development process, go write a giant yeah. requirements document, you know, triple bid it, go through, a, you know, you know, you don't have the luxury of the Gantt chart in this world. Yeah, and yeah, you have to right. be able to move fast. And, and those are places where, you know, that is the, the platform we've been building for is that environment where we got to move fast. We have to do it non-traditionally and we have to do it with a lot less effort. Um, you know, this last year has really forced us to hone in on that value prop and and prove that it's real and frankly adjust a lot to make it more real for for people who are who are trying to to get that value and and so i would say we have uh, we have learned a lot <laughs> in, the, in the course of this pandemic yeah. a lot of people have uh, but we have also been able to do some good uh, for the world in the in the same in the same breath you know it's, it definitely was was interesting timing because uh if you guys probably had a pick a time 
for yeah. a super crunch test of our platform. Yeah. Maybe maybe you'd have liked to see it another year out or something. Yeah, so sure. I, I, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, you, you can't you can't cage these things, but yeah. it kind of hit when when uh, you know you guys still had some wiring to finish, and I would imagine that the pressure on the team. You know, it's one thing to we got to be out to market quickly because of competition. It's another thing because you know something like this has come. It 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 has to bring a huge amount of pressure to the team to. This is we need to take teams to the next level. Yep. We need to we need to take you know uh, build your own apps the next level. And you know, yep. suddenly we've got we've got an entire workforce that is now working from home that never yep. planned to be working from home that is completely ill-equipped for that yep. entire that entire yep. motion and these these Not people need this an, stuff fast an entire generation of students who are now learning remotely many of them yeah. teams at every age group uh, you know from my first grader up to colleges and in uh, universities you know there's uh, there's uh, it's been just it's affected everybody but you're right i mean the the platform has been stretched at every level and it's not just the power platform you're right it's also very much teams I, you know i saw yeah. it really uh, interesting internal presentation from an engineering leader in the teams org uh, you know comparing look here's what our load and traffic pattern looked like in january of 2021 and then to scale superimposing that on what it looked like Uh-oh. in march um and it's just uh, you know and not to say that hey look at all this great growth it was really to say you know, look at what it took to go scale a, a planet scale service that dramatically that quickly, um, you know, and and that was not a pleasant experience for the engineers yeah, having to work on that. That was, uh, you know, that was late just as 24-7 as, uh, as, as any other response. But, um, but you know, for all the, um, you know, no software is perfect. We like to gripe about everything. And I, I share my, uh, my, my set of barbs with, uh, with stuff, but, uh, but man, I have a ton of respect for the team's engineering group and how well they have uh, handled that uh, that um, just massive overnight change. So as we're recording this, uh, vaccines for the virus are rolling out, and yep. I, I, I assume at some point in the coming months it'll kind of be behind us. Yep. Um, in the meantime, it, it's, it was around long enough to push lots of people to work from home. Uh, longer than maybe their company owners thought would have yeah. to happen, but now they've kind of gotten used to that. They've they've made accommodation. Yep. They've made it work. What do, what do you think is going to happen when this 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 particular you know crisis has passed and there's yeah. the ability to go back to normal? Yeah. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with all these folks? Are, are we going to see? a mass return to offices? Are we going to see people say, you know, this is, this is working or what are you guys thinking? I mean, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know that I can speak for all of Microsoft on this one, but I think at least so in what our do you own think? team, I mean, look, our team was, is already very globally distributed. Um, you know, we have the majority of our engineers and core product PMs working in the, in the Pacific time zone, but you know, we have a significant group in Paris. We have a significant group in Bangalore. We have uh, we have individual pockets. We have people in Fargo, North Dakota. We have uh, we have Israel. a small team in. We have, certainly have a team in Israel. We have teams in in parts of Europe. We have a team in Toronto. You know, so the, you know, if if nothing else, I think the 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 core sort of Puget Sound based team has developed a lot more empathy for the experience of the very significant portion of our group that works around the world, you know, their experience yeah. joining teams. Um, and I hope, and I really hope that that continues if nothing else, even if we all end up uh, back in offices at, at a more regular level. I, look, I think 
There's also, we've learned, you know, you look at digital events and, and conferences and stuff, you know, certainly it is not the same as being in the room with people, catching up and networking, finding those, uh, you know, uh, discovery and unplanned moments with humans. And and I do believe that we will go back to getting in rooms together, both as employees, but also as, as colleagues, you know, and I, and I really hope that we get to do that again soon. However, you know, some of the digital events that we've pulled off as as unelegant uh, as some of them have come together also very rapidly having to figure out how to completely reimagine conferences like Ignite um, virtually in just a few months. Those themselves were gargantuan, uh, you know, tactics. Um, in some cases, there were orders of magnitude more participation in those events than when you yeah. had to get on a plane and fly to Orlando to 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 get the benefit, really. Um, if I'm, so if I'm Microsoft, I, I don't know how eager I am to go back to in-person events, given the success of, you know, yeah. like you say, I mean, uh, so many more people able to attend. And, and right. you know, Microsoft's goal in having an event isn't for us all to hang out and have beers. Right. It's to it's to disseminate product information to as broad an sure. audience as possible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, 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 in as yeah. deep a format as possible. Yeah. And sitting in a session room watching some guy present uh, a slide deck yep. um yeah maybe it's a little more interactive but right. not enough more interactive to justify the 30 right. people behind me versus 3000 right. people that could right. be behind me in a in a in a video yeah. meeting so right. you know from microsoft standpoint you would think that this, you know, hey, great news, <laughs> you know, yep. we don't have to go back yep. to doing live events, which are, I, they got to be a huge yep. expense, a huge sure. logistical challenge, all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So the only I reason mean, I, to go I back would be like, that camaraderie like, or something, you know? Like all things moderation, right? And I, I would say we, um, I'm sure we will... I, I hope we will re reconvene at least some uh, live events, and I'm sure we will. I think it, it comes back to, though, I think we've learned that it's, um, there's probably a bias before this year, this past year, that uh, the, the a digital portion of a live event would be much less valuable. I mean, even already, I don't want to overplay that hand, even already we would frequently get more total usage over a lifespan of content consumed digitally when it was produced at a live event than at the live event itself. You know, you go take yeah, a, a sure. keynote at Ignite, um, you know, there's there's 3,000, 10,000 people in the room, whatever, um, but then you go take the three months following the streaming of that online would accumulate far more visitors and, and users yeah. than, uh, than originally. So that was, that was already known. Uh, but being able to extend that from the keynote stage out to every session and being able to to you know figure out how to produce that type of an event um, in a very uh, decentralized way um, is you know I think we've learned a lot uh, through that process. You know, back to your your question about people going to offices and the team working in places. You know, I think you know, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people uh, really value that type of working. You know, whether uh, you know, there's there's people on my team who live alone and uh, and you know are are really really craving social interaction with other humans yeah. and are ready oh, to yeah. come back. Uh, there's also people on my team and and self included with uh, you know young kids in the house and a lot to manage and you know really craving uh, return to normalcy and in, in that type of life environment. So I I think you know work from home. I think we've all learned that we can do it and some people have learned that it's even better for them. But I think there's a lot of people who will still value working in a physical location. And I, and I do think we'll, I hope we'll return to a, a good chunk of that as well. Yeah, it does get kind of lonely for, uh, for right. a lot of folks, yeah. especially those social people that that uh, need, sure. you know, need to be around yeah. people, need the water yep. cooler, need to go yep. to lunch yep. Uh, yep. As, as part of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, 
Let me ask you uh, about, maybe I'll get a little self-serving here now. Uh, sure. um, you're familiar with our rapid start CRM. Uh-huh. We, yep. 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 So we, we have, uh, and I'm just curious about what the team internally thinks about motions like the one we're doing and others, mm-hmm. you know, are, are looking at where we've, and I know you, you'll be a little biased because you're more on the plat- power platform sure. side yeah. as is Charles and, yep. and Charles is less concerned about the first party group. They got their own sure. problems to deal with, but you know, we're, we're, we're basically making a business out of building simpler versions of what the first party mm-hmm. teams have built for yep. an audience that isn't prepared for that level of complexity yeah and we and we and we built it to run on the ten dollar pass and we recently made it free Mm. so i mean i can't imagine i'm just curious what the 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 talk in the halls uh, is about isvs like us that are basically building products that are attacking directly i mean i'm attacking directly the sales professional for sure Mm. and even enterprise for a lot of customers because you've given us enough in the platform yeah that i can build quite a bit for a lot of customers with before i'd have to really go to those first party yeah what's the what's the talk in the halls about that that kind of motions well, luckily we don't have any halls anymore, Steve. We're all working mm. from home. But uh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Otherwise, we would in the have video a halls. Steve more do in in every uh, every uh, elevator lobby. But uh, no, look, I um I w- I'll say a couple things on that. You know, from a I don't want to speak for Charles, but from a platform perspective, and certainly from my perspective too. Yes, our day job is focused on building the platform. Our biggest customer are the first-party apps running on that platform still, you know, by revenue, by at least, and 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 we have a lot of incentive as a Microsoft shareholder and as a member of the business applications group in seeing the first-party apps be successful. Um, in fact, a lot of our effort and our engineering effort goes into helping those first-party apps be successful and stay successful and get modern and get fast and and get mobile. Um, uh, in in you know, in addition to or in some cases around building the core platform itself. I think um, James, so, James had said yeah. uh, not that long ago that make no mistake, those are what pay the rent. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and look, Power Apps is is driving an incredible amount of growth from a, both a usage and a revenue perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a established greater than a decade business in, uh, in, in CRM at, at scale. That's that customers are driving, you know, themselves trusting billions of dollars of business to and, and, and pay Microsoft a lot of money for that privilege. Right. And so we take that very seriously and, and, you know, uh, we are directly incented to protect that business, whatever that whatever that means. Now that said, to rewind, uh, you know, earlier in the conversation, we're a platform company at heart, right? And uh, you know, it's not just that uh, Steve Mordew can go out there and build a, a, a CRM system on on the on the you know, DataVerse and Power Apps platform. Um, I mean, we have multiple power apps competitors building on the azure platform <laughs> you know and there yeah, are right. there are azure and that's you know that's great uh, you know as a, as a shareholder and as a software person like the the best solution should win and that's never going to be a one size fits all answer for every customer um and and there you know to to your point there are some customers that are going to be best served by a certain piece of software and microsoft as a 
you know, a, a builder of generic things is not going to get into every niche. It's not going to get into every vertical. Um, uh, it's certainly, you know, we want an ecosystem of people to build on the platform and extend things and even build fully standalone things for uh, for those niches because we won't get there ourselves. And we know that there are more of them out there um, where, where expertise uh, needs, to, needs to go. Um, you know, for Microsoft to really have a a Microsoft product offering at scale, it needs to have a really big business behind it, um, a really big business behind it. Um, there's plenty of opportunity in the market at other multiples that is very profitable for, for software vendors and very advantageous for customers that are businesses that Microsoft will not directly enter. Um, and so I, I think in those worlds, um, if the platform doesn't work for that, then what's the point of having a platform? <laughs> you know, like, and so it yeah. needs to it needs to work for that. And we need to make um, you know rapid start successful, just like we need to make the the first party dynamics app successful. And I believe those those two things are not at a, at odds with each other, and they should yeah. live in a, in a coexisting world. Um, you know, from a customer perspective, even as a platform person, you know, a lot of people will come in and say, you know, should I use this off-the-shelf piece of software or should I build it myself in in Power Apps? Um, and, you know, my first answer to them is always, you know, if the off-the-shelf thing does what you need it to do or even does 80% of what you need it to do, it's usually worth buying it, even if the the price tag feels more expensive. Because what you're buying there is a team of people behind that app who not only put all the effort into making it, but are going to keep putting effort into making it better. Um, and whether that's Steve's team or whether that's, you know, Muhammad Alam's team that, you know, is almost less relevant, the concept is I'm going to buy a piece of software that that people have already figured out a lot of the hard parts for this use case and they're going to keep yeah. making it better. Now, the ability to extend it is really important in business applications because um, selling shoes is very different than selling wind turbines, even if it all yeah. involves selling stuff. <laughs> you know, it's so the ability to Well, you know, that it's one of the reasons we ended up going free. When, when I first came up with that idea for Rapid Start, we launched it in 2015 and it sat on top of CRM online, the single yeah. SKU at the time to, to just really make the whole thing simpler um, because there was, there was that need for something to be simpler. Yeah. And I, I had this dream that I was just going to sell that people would buy it, pay me every month and leave me the hell alone. <laughs> you know, that, that was what I had imagined, but everybody, everybody <laughs> wants to tweak and fiddle and make it unique. And, uh, you know, we actually look back last year at our revenue. We, we had 10 times more revenue on the services of helping customers customize our app than we did on the recurring revenue. Yeah. And that's the reason we just decided, well, let's just make the app free sure. and, and lean into the services as sure. much as I really didn't want to do that. Right. I didn't want, didn't want to do that business at all. Now I'm kind of being, you know, pulled in sure. like the godfather sure. won't let me out of the, <laughs> the services business. But But you're right. Everybody needs something unique. So you know, we really, we recast them as accelerators as opposed right. to, you know, here's a, here's a, something you can just buy and use, right. but and it's the same, even with the first party apps, nobody, right. nobody installs a first party app, it just uses it. You know, everybody has to, they've all got to be molded to fit the business. And I think right. that that's the nice thing about the platform, whether it's on first party or on, you know, just on power apps yeah. is you've got all the tools to, and that, that's actually one of the challenges we run into. I'm sure you guys do too, where they look at some app and they say, oh, that's not exactly what I need. And then they move on right. without realizing that, you know what, that can be exactly what you need. And frankly, with the tools available that we have today, not that expensive, not that's anything like it I used to be. And I can, I can make it do yeah. But, yeah. I mean, at, at a fraction of, of what it used to cost to, to right. do those kind of services. Part of making this stuff easier to adopt is about having 
apps that are much, at least much closer to what a customer needs out of the box. So they don't have to do a bunch of customization up front. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. I think you know something that we have been on the journey from, if you go rewind 10 years in CRM to now, is um, make it less of a giant monolith, make individual modules much more ready to consume. You know, and we've we've done a lot of work around that. But even within Power Apps, you know, a lot of people get started by grabbing a template and implementing it and starting to use it fairly stock and then realizing, yep. hey, I want to put my logo on it and then I want to change this yep. form and then I want to change a field and then I want a thing to kick off. You know, making the customization incremental as opposed to putting a, a really large tax and price tag before it's useful um, is one of the tactics we pursue to make it easier to get more people started. Um, uh, but that said, you know, there will there will always be the need to tailor and customize software in in a business application space. And, and I think one of the trends we are seeing is this blurring of lines between. You know, we, we like to pretend classically that there are ISVs who produce software and put it in the world and then never touch it. And then there are system integrators who do the dirty work of services to, to make it work. Those lines get really blurry in the modern world where, um, you know, for, from a classic services provider standpoint, when I'm building and customizing on a platform, it's actually much easier to then start to templatize and repeat my solution. So I'm not just doing labor every single time. Um, and to your point, from a software maker perspective, for customers who want to constantly customize it, it gets more viable to uh, to go the other direction. Um, uh, you know, depending on what your business model is, so we see a lot of people kind of living in that in that world. We even see customers themselves, you know, even energy companies, healthcare companies, building stuff, uh, financial services companies, building stuff for themselves on the platform and then starting to commercialize it to, to other people in their industry because it's on a platform that's transferable. And that's something that, um, you know, classically you didn't see with line of business software. It was built in a vacuum, custom, and very tailored for one customer. And then it sort of lived in that silo for a long time. But the ability to make those assets transferable is, is a huge advantage in uh, in this world. You know, back when they really first started pushing the citizen developer motion, yeah. I think I wrote a post about, you know, the end of SI business. You know, this is it. We're, we're all dead now. Uh, we won't, they, won't <laughs> yeah. need it. they won't need us anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the sky is falling, chicken little. Sure. But now, a, as we've seen this thing kind of uh, roll out, because it is less expensive to get deployed, there are people uh, building apps and using apps that would never have considered it before. So while I would say it's probably true that our average customer SI project has lost a zero mm. uh, in value, there's 10 times as many of them. So it's kind of evened itself mm. out. You know, we got yeah. we have many more customers available now than when the only way you could come become a customer was if you had really deep pockets and a lot of patience. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so we just opened up the number of potential customers. Yep you know, by 10 times, even yep. though the deployment of each has gone down some. So I'm not, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> yeah, and I think that trend is, is holding. I mean, I think you see even some of the big uh, services companies like the big four and stuff like that actually seeing some very similar trends where they're, they're building real practices on power platform. Uh, you know, whereas a couple of years ago, you know, they didn't see it as something for their business model and maybe even a threat to their business model. Now they're realizing, look, I can, drive real revenue out of this, just the the size and dollar amount and number of projects is a different mix than it was before. Um, and, and in some cases, those tend towards strategic consulting engagements. You know, it, it yeah, becomes, yeah. 
you know, let me think about helping a, you know, for a large global organization to wrap their head around how do I use citizen development in my company? How do I keep it secure? How do I monitor it? Where do I let a business unit roll their own thing versus where do I bring in a team of professionals to build and maintain a solution? Even just that decision-making process and the center of excellence and governance practices that go around it, that's a major engagement that a lot of customers need help with right now because yep, they yep. haven't, you know, they're not organized for that today uh, or resourced for it today. And then you look at, okay, getting into each of those individual projects, you know, even certainly today, even in a future where apps are 10 times as easy to build as they are today, if I'm going to go roll out a mission critical solution for managing, uh, you know, customer data and and critical decisions, I need software minded people to help me think about how to keep that compliant, about how to build it in a way that humans are going to want to use it. Um, you know, just just because we put a tool like Photoshop out there in the world does not instantly make everybody a a photographer and a, and sure. a digital artist. <laughs> you know, it yep. um, there's still that mindset and and expertise that's going to be really necessary. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of uh, a lot of services organizations right now, I think they're they're realizing that there is. Um, a lot of value, both in the execution of individual apps and projects, but then also in um, helping customers adapt to this new world where um, uh, where a lot of people can build software and you have to make decisions about who builds what and how you maintain it. Um, you know, and so that's well, an area one of the, a lot of effort. I think yeah, I think definitely one of the areas that's been blown up completely is the is the old ROI story because you, you used to be looking at a significant investment to deploy something of time and money and the, and the return on that investment yeah. was quite some time. Yeah. And, and that, that, you know, that, that was what was going to limit the growth of any business application platform out there yeah. was that they are. And, and now that's been reduced almost nothing. Sure. I mean, literally, you know, Bob can go build something that starts generating revenue or saving money yep. uh, in, in an afternoon. Yep. The, the, the ROI isn't, there's not even a question anymore mm. about, you know, yep. a, a half a day of Bob's time to go right. and, you know, streamline this process and save us, uh, you know, five hours a day with yep. his four hour effort. Sure. Uh, and that didn't yep. exist before that, that just did not exist within the dynamics, uh, application before platform, before power yeah. apps, before yeah. canvas apps. Yeah. It's, it's it completely yeah. changed the entire game. Yeah. Before I let you go, what, what of the things as you look across the landscape right now, and maybe the things that are coming up that have, that have been discussed, uh, you know, uh, yeah. th that people are aware of what, what excites you the most? What do you think is two things? What are you the most excited about? Mm. And, and the other one is what do you think more customers would be excited about if they understood it better or, or, mm. or, or, or realized it? That, that's the kind yeah. of like the most underutilized high value thing that people are just missing. Sure. Um, that's it. Those are, uh, you know, those are big questions. I think there's a lot that I get excited about for people that know me. It's not so hard to get excited. Yeah, you get excited about that lamp in the background. I know. But. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a great lamp, Steve. It's not it's a crappy lamp for my kid. But, um, uh, you know, look, I think you know, for me, certainly there's a ton of work in our feature backlog that's really cool and really exciting. And there's a lot of work around, uh, particularly around bringing intelligence to the authoring experience that I'm pretty excited about, uh, you know, and, and you to the earlier conversation we were having about make it easier for people to be successful and maybe not have to deal with that formula bar. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're starting to apply. Um, you know, we've brought AI builder to, to end user apps, but actually bringing that to the maker experience of being just, and not in, 
magical unicorn pixie dust ways, but just in really practical ways, suggesting ways for people to do things, uh, suggesting things to do next, making it possible to write logic in natural language as opposed to having to know all the ins and outs of a formula, for example. Like, there's some really cool stuff cooking there that I think will will start to continue to open up orders of magnitude of of humans who can move be that, successful. Move that bar farther down the path. Absolutely yeah. right, and 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 those are not you know classically sometimes we think about those as as tools just for true amateurs but if you go look at even all the all the productivity that a product like visual studio has brought to professional developers it's in stuff like type ahead and linting and all that you know it's it's really about bringing micro intelligence to those micro interactions that a person who's living in this tool for eight hours a day all day long is um uh, you know, is going to need to be really productive. And so we're really thinking about that both ways. Um, so those things are exciting. I think if you zoom out a little bit, though, beyond the individual level of feature work, I would say what's what's most exciting to me and what I, what I hope is getting more exciting to more customers is less about any one individual feature or product and more about what's possible when you start to combine them at scale. Um, you know, and, and I think that's where if you look at organizations that have really gone all in on citizen development and low code for professionals as well and start to work together. Um, you know, you see this new way of working where you have professionals and amateurs and IT people and business people, you know, knowing each other and working side by side <laughs> in a place where they traditionally were opposed to each other and uh, uh, or at least just not aware of each other. Um, you know, and, and that's where you get not just one cool app with one cool feature, but literally thousands of applications inside of organizations that are just creating a, a crazy amount of value. And you start to change um, you start to change the lives of people in those organizations, both the people that are are be able to implement that stuff, but also um, you, know, you just make the jobs better <laughs> for the people yeah. who get to use stuff that was built by their company um, and was built much faster. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately super exciting to me is to start to see this making a real change in the way that humans are working um, and doing it through a mix of apps and bots and automations and teams experiences and and uh, you know it's it's when those things sort of work together in concert um that i think they get most exciting um you know so i'm i'm thrilled to see that happening i'm really excited about um you know this end-to-end -end stack of what customers have done with Azure resources through Power Platform in Teams and how that has created a meaningful dent in how you know, a, a company works. Um, and, I'm, and I'm super excited about all the work we're doing to make that smoother to actually implement and manage and deploy. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I, I really hope customers see, um, you know, see beyond the one use case, see beyond the one app or see beyond the one product and, and see what's possible when I start to change the economics of how software is rolled out in my company. Uh, it is a, economics, it is a discovery price, process. Who, who participates, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. a discovery process. You know, they yeah. stumble upon yeah. something, they start using something, and if they're successful with it, then they start discovering these other pieces around it right. that are available around it to extend on it. I don't think the technology itself right now that we have is a blocker uh, to growth. I think the biggest challenge with growth right now probably more lies more on the complexity of the licensing side. I mean, just, I mean I there's, there's a lot there's of customers of that can't yeah. can't can't even get started because they don't even they don't understand what they even need or how how to buy, especially in the Power Apps story where they've got yeah. some seeded Power Apps capabilities. They don't know what the word seeded even means sure. or that they have it. And then they're seeing all these cool Power Apps things and they can't figure out yeah. how do I get from here to there? Why can't I do this and that? And you know, it's it's I think that probably is is a bigger blocker to potential growth than than the technology itself. 
Um, Maybe you know. I would say. I would say certainly. Have you read the licensing guide? <laughs> my, it's my favorite James Joyce novel. I'll, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, most most customers haven't and wouldn't. <laughs> well, I guess I guess my I guess what I would uh, you know maybe maybe zoom out from that on is I would say you know you're right. The technology itself can solve a lot of problems for a lot of different people, and we have existence proof of that. The you know getting an organization at scale to discover it, to see it in that light, and then to have an organizational culture embrace it. Certainly, licensing is a part of that, but it's also about who in IT is responsible for it, and how do we govern it, and where do we roll it out, and who is footing the bill when I do understand how to pay for it. You know, yes, I mean at the end of the day. Um, at the end of the day, the licensing is actually very simple, which I know is a controversial opinion. It's, you know, you 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 get a measure of it in office for extending office, you pay for enterprise data sources. There's two ways to pay. You pay per app or you pay unlimited. Full stop. That's the license. Now, we do not do ourselves many favors when we have classically rolled that out. And I absolutely take your point that uh, we have made the communication of that uh, complex. And, and for a lot of customers, you know, this is not a commodity expectation. You know, we're at a point right now where everybody needs an email account and a productivity suite and word processing, and every seller needs a CRM license. And those things are not necessarily controversial. It just becomes about what's the best price from the best vendor because they're mature products in mature markets. Uh, you know, low code is at a very different state of market maturity. Um, and so for a lot of people, it's about not just understanding how our pricing is structured, but understanding organizationally for them what, how do they conceptualize ROI? How does the market offer these these products? And and you know where do how do I evaluate that potential expense against the the value I'm going to get out of it? And I think you know in addition to to making things like the licensing guide easier to read for uh, people who are, do not have PhDs, um, I think it's also really about helping the market get more mature and seeing you know it, it, we really genuinely believe this will become an expectation of organizations um you know that if you go fast forward another you know couple years if i can't rapidly innovate internally and i have and i am dependent on a, a team of professionals to start from scratch every single time that i that i need a problem solved that's going to be a major competitive disadvantage for organizations and on the flip side you know being able to have every information worker be able to do at least basic tasks extending their software and solving their own problems is increasingly going to be an expectation. We're not there yet from a market maturity standpoint. Not everybody sees it that way, but we've certainly seen enough proof of organizations already evolving to that point um, that we know that that's coming. Uh, you know, and, and so I think being able to get to that place is is a journey for a lot of companies. And it's uh, it's then really the next phase for us um, of of uh, bringing the world to to where we know it can be. I mean, you just look at some of the things in the past, like the the first uh, uh, Obamacare website debacle sure. with all the millions sure. of dollars they spent to basically yeah. build a, a website, and then look at what it would have taken for somebody to pop that up on portals today. I mean, th there's no no compare. I mean, yeah. I'm, we've actually lost projects in the past because the people thought we didn't understand the scope yeah. because we were like 10% yeah. of what the other company. So we clearly misunderstood yeah. the scope when they just misunderstood the, the value of a platform and what that does yeah. to a development cost and time yep. cycle uh, and everything. There are government entities that rolled out COVID testing solutions on power platform in literally weeks to tens yeah. of millions of citizens and had that go off without any major hiccup. Um, you know, and uh, and and you're right. It's a uh, but 
that you get back to that pressure test. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. getting getting that to to go um, to scale and to help more people see it that way and and be able to expect that from their software. That's that's really the next mountain to to climb. I think the two challenges we've had around licensing are are that that power apps versus power apps. We got these two products that yeah. Yeah. really are are different products that share the same mm. name, and, and that yeah. puts some confusion in customers where they think they already have power yeah, I think apps. They already have it right. Yeah. I don't understand why they have to go buy power apps when they have power sure. apps. Yep. And the other one is is the you know the passes, the per user or the per app passes. You know those are assigned in a different way than all the other licenses they have been using internally for years. Yeah. You know, where they, it's a whole different, and it's it's like the only thing that's assigned that way. Yeah. So it's it's a different process, and they're looking at how do I do this? I I've assigned licenses all the time. I don't understand how to do this. So those are. Right. Those are two spots. If you could personally take as a as a favor to me, and go, <laughs> go, go clean up Just the pathway on that, yes. on those to make um, that as smooth as possible for yeah. people to understand, yeah. that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, no, and and that feedback is well heard uh, across the market. I mean, we are we are at the pace that we were trying to do some work on the first problem to clarify, really, perhaps for office <laughs> from from perhaps yeah. for for standalone, um, and then separately, you know, the per app concept is. A really powerful concept, and actually, a lot of organizations have have embraced it. There's there's more. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to show this. There's more monthly active usage of of apps on a per app license today, um, and this has been true for many months than there were on either the the older two license models, right? I mean, it sure. it, uh, it hunts for a lot of people when they can realize, oh, hey, this is um, uh, you know, this is a way for me to apply the value of the platform to a use case without having to go have this broader discussion about uh, committing the entire organization to uh, uh, to an unlimited number of apps. Well, um, just but you're right, it's, it's a different concept for people, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, the, it, yeah. and just the difference of cost. At $40, I can afford to have 10 people use this. Right. At $10, well, I can afford to have 40 people use this. Sure. So suddenly, you know, Yep. Strictly related to cost, you, you're going to see that usage explode on those lower cost licenses because those are people now using an app that weren't going to be able to use it before. They weren't sure. going to justify the expense for that level, that tier, if you will. Right. You start getting into 10 bucks. I mean, that's pretty much anybody in your organization you could justify 10 bucks right. for. Right. Uh, so, yeah, now suddenly it's everybody has an app. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. Well, and I would say we've an seen app. a number of customers already, even though this has been in market only about a year, you know, start there and then very quickly realize, actually, no, we want unlimited. <laughs> so, so like getting, getting people through the transition yeah. is is a, is a phase as well. But. And it's something that you take into account as a builder of, of apps also. If sure. you're wanting to try and build for that, you know, you build your apps, you know, understanding the licensing structure, you, you design for it. Yeah. Uh, so. so listen, Ryan, I appreciate you uh, taking this time out of your obviously not busy afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a, a, rare, a rare not busy afternoon for you, I'm sure. I'm feeling very lucky to have caught you when I did. Sure. And uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, hey, keep doing what you're doing, Steve. I both uh, both being uh, being a, a, a rock in the community and also pushing us on the platform to make it better. I think you know ultimately, um, 
you know, we see this as a thing we're doing together, and I mean, I mean that really genuinely. Uh, you know, we uh, we uh, we don't sit in an ivory tower, <laughs> as you know. We uh, when we do, we make plenty of uh, of, of blunders. But I think, uh, you know, this thing we are building is bigger than uh, lines of code. Uh, you know, it's a mindset, and uh, and I think the the more that the community embraces it, uh, the faster we go. Uh, so I really appreciate you and everybody that is. Uh, hopefully going to listen to this someday and, uh, and participate. Well, there'll be, there'll be yeah. thousands listening. There usually are. So don't worry. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Thanks for the call, Steve. All right, cool, man. Talk to you later. Be well. Peace.